Hey, U.S. soccer fans, Jordan Angeli here. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you know, my voice might crack a little bit because this week I was a loud and proud alumni for Santa Clara University as the women's soccer team won their second national championship. If you guys were tuning into the game, you probably saw me screaming my head off. It was worth every second of it. So, um, I'm not going to apologize for my voice because we've all been there, right? We're soccer fans. We've given it our all at a game, and this is me giving it all it all for my alma mater. So congratulations, Santa Clara Women's Soccer. So proud of you guys. And here we go on to this episode of the U.S. Soccer Podcast. This is crazy. This is absolutely insane. Such at a loss for words. I mean, I'll find them. Don't worry. Do I like playing against adversity? Man, I just like playing, period. I'm just I'm shocked and I'm so proud of our guys, man. Unbelievable. Putting the crest on every single time means something to me. Hi, this is Carly Lloyd and you are listening to the U.S. Soccer Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the U.S. Soccer Podcast. As you might know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We're honored to have Dr. Jessica Bartley on the show this week to talk with us about really an important topic, ways we can combat the stigma around mental health and better take care of ourselves and those around us. Dr. Jessica Bartley is the new Director of Mental Health Services for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, as well as a Clinical Assistant Professor at the University of Denver in Sport and Performance Psychology. She has been the contracted sports psychologist for USA Karate and USA Track and Field, as well as professional bull riding, and also had previous roles in mental performance and mental health in the athletic departments at Ohio State University and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Charlie, Jessica was a soccer player. She played at the University of Texas before an injury ended her college career, which directed her academic interests towards mental performance and mental health with elite athletes. She's also part of U.S. Soccer's Mental Health Task Force, helping the Federation raise awareness and provide support for its constituents from youth players to national team players, coaches, referees, and even spectators. Charlie, let's welcome her to the show. Dr. Jessica Bartley, how are you? Yeah, welcome. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for having me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious. You know, how did you get involved in me the mental health field? Because I think nowadays it's it's okay if you're a professional athlete to talk about your mental health and well-being. Whereas, you know, when I was growing up, you you kept that inside. You weren't allowed yeah. to share that because that meant you were weak. Yeah, I mean, I think that was similar to how I grew up. Um, you know, my dream was playing at the University of Texas and injury just really shut that dream down before it really started. Um, and I remember feeling really lost. Um, and we were not only uh, not supported around mental health, but discouraged from using any of the mental health resources. Um, I think it was seen as weak. Um, it was no one else's business what was going on. And so I think that was uh, what eventually led me into studying uh, mental health and mental performance was I really wanted to be the resource that I felt like I didn't have. Um, so going into college athletics, I just really wanted to be there for college student athletes um, in a way that I didn't have anyone. 
And it wasn't just that injury, right? It's also what happens after the injury when you go from, okay, I am on a team and I have this support system built around me and then I get injured and I'm away from that. And for you, you were at the University of Texas, which um, everybody knows it's a pretty big school. So th there's a lot to, that is also going on. How did you navigate that and find that, okay, this is what I want to, the field that I want to work in? Because at that time, I'm sure it was really challenging even just to feel motivated to get through the injury. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I don't think I even knew who I was outside of sport. I didn't know what I wanted to study. Um, tried on a few different majors. Uh, had had thought I had always maybe would want to be a lawyer. So I actually spent a semester in D.C. in an exchange program. Hated it. Thought it was terrible. Um, was like, don't want to do this. And so my senior year, I, f I enrolled in a social work class. And so we were studying the impact of athletes on their communities, um, particularly for a place like Austin where we don't have professional sports teams. So we, I was a part of a group called the Longhorn Leaders um, where we would go out into the community and we would um, mentor youth. And the program was really around gang violence and gang prevention. And so we were able to significantly impact um, gang, gang violence, gang participation um, in the Austin area. It's still a program that's been going on, that's going on today. And I just felt like there's got to be a way that I could be a part of sport and and make an impact. So that was kind of the beginning of me trying to figure out, you know, how can I do this? Um, I ended up getting my master's in social work, um, was working in the juvenile justice system, trying to incorporate sport. And then eventually I decided, you know, I should go on and get uh, mental performance training. So I had a master's in sport and performance psychology and then went on and got a doctorate in clinical psych. So was really setting myself up to, to be at, um, you know, one of the big universities. I The next step was Ohio State University, um, just trying to help out athletes in a way I didn't have it. So a little bit of a meandering path, but yeah, what a path got though. there. What, what yeah. a path. So you, you, you touched on, the, the mental awareness part and the performance part. Could you talk about the difference at that level right now, the Olympic level, everyone's a world-class athlete yeah. and the margins are so small that the mental, the mental health is, is critical to securing gold, to being bounced out in the first round. Yep. Can you talk about what you've seen at this level and, and how that's played such a vital role? You know, we've really been trying to push the message that everyone has mental health. It's just a matter of how it's doing, how it's going. Um, there's been some really cool literature around mental health, whether you're flourishing or languishing um, along a spectrum. And so we all struggle with our mental health. We all have ups and downs with our mental health when we go along this spectrum. And, and I think there's some things where, you know, you might have fallen below your baseline um, and we often think of that as having a mental health issue. Um, something's come up that's impacting the way that we interact, um, that we perform. And so that's where you're often seeing a therapist or a counselor or somebody that can really address these mental health issues. There's also this mental performance that's become really popular as well. Um, so that's usually going to be somebody who's at baseline, but just needs a little bit of that edge. The reality is a lot of those um, techniques and interventions are similar. 
um, and can be utilized on both end of, ends of the spectrum. But there are some very specific factors around, you know, am I, am I really falling below my baseline? Would this be considered like a diagnosable mental illness? Is it generalized anxiety or is it performance anxiety? It's just when I'm out in my sport and I just need to really pull it together when I'm at the starting line or when the whistle blows. Um, so a lot of those can also be a little bit along a spectrum, but a lot of times the interventions and the techniques can be really similar. Is there other, this is one of the questions that Charlie and I had for you is just the difference between mental health and mental illness. And I feel like you're kind of getting into that a little bit there. Is there other things that are important to recognize, um, how to diagnose those two things differently or how to give them equal weighting equal weight? Yeah, so there's actually a really cool diagram um, that talks about mental health on the vertical axis and mental illness across the um, horizontal. And so you can actually have poor mental health, but never have a mental illness. Like you're just not taking care of yourself. You're not sleeping well. You're not eating well. Um, you can also be diagnosed with a mental illness, take care of yourself, eat well, sleep well, and never really experiencing any sort of issue. So it, it there's different quadrants if you were to think about that. And so I think the mental illness is usually a lot more biologically based um, and very genetic. And so just because someone's struggling does not mean that they are diagnosed with a mental illness. That also means that somebody with a mental illness does not necessarily struggle. They just might have to prioritize their sleep or the way they eat or exercise, um, maybe a medication. But I think that those are kind of some of the ways to think about it a little bit differently. That that really just blew my mind. And and I, I've, uh, I've made it known my mother has suffered from a severe bipolar disorder ever since I was a, as a child. I mean, second grade was probably the first mental breakdown she had. And we never talked about it, just kind of, Got, went through life that way. And um, I remember as I got older, if you, if you ever talked about medication, um, you know, like a Zoloft or anything that helps with uh, chemical imbalances, you, you you were like automatically weak. It was like you shut down. You don't talk about medicine. Uh, can you talk about if there are professional athletes who feel, man, I, I just don't feel right. And it's not what I'm eating. It's not how I'm sleeping. I'm doing all those things right. But I could benefit from medication that it's not... It, that there shouldn't be this negative stigma around it, that it can actually help you in your performances. For sure. And I think the way I often think about medication is, you know, let's try some behavioral interventions first. Like, let's see if sleeping helps. Let's see if eating helps. Let's see if um, exercise helps or even therapy and then I think there's other times where a medication is just going to change uh, the neurobiology of your brain in a way that it kickstarts it. And so there's lots of theories that you don't have to be on medication forever. Some people might have to to continue to change that brain chemistry. Um, but the reality is actually behavioral interventions, good sleep, good eating habits can change your brain chemistry. Medication can do that as well. And that might be exactly what you need to address mental illness. Um, so again, I think, you know, we wouldn't tell a patient with cancer that medication is a bad thing. But we're also going to say you need to eat well, you need to sleep well, you need to exercise, you need to be on this medication, you have chemo, and you have a, a regimen. And I think that that's something that's really important if we can start to think about mental health and mental illness in a way that we think of physical health and physical illness 
it's a lot more helpful and honestly a lot more palatable um, to kind of take in and say, oh, wait, why are we thinking about this differently? I think that's really important because there are so many things that do factor into um, some of the maybe not the mental illness side, but the mental health side that can be changed with those interventions that you were just talking about and uh, taking care of yourself and and having those good quality routines of sleep or uh, quality food that you're eating. All those things are are so important. One of the things you mentioned though, too, is talking to a counselor and um, Charlie and I both have been through some difficult injuries. And I remember talking to a counselor during one of my injuries and, you know, sometimes not even about the injury, just, just what, what, whatever Mm -hmm. was on my mind and the feeling of, I think growing up in sports, sometimes we get used to saying like, run it off or, um, you know, Mm -hmm. if it, Yeah, if there's no pain, then there's no gain, whatever. And it really is is not the case, right? That you have to be willing to say, all right, I'm I'm okay with being vulnerable and talking to somebody. Um, But also, how do you how do you encourage people that it doesn't take an injury? It doesn't take a big moment to say, hey, maybe I should start talking to someone. What's the benefits of talking to someone and engaging with a counselor? You know, I think it often just shares the load. It gives another perspective. Um, it's just incredibly helpful to to say something out loud sometimes um, and to get some feedback, I think, with counseling. Um, also, you know, some, some tools that you hadn't thought of or, again, some interventions or just having somebody point something out. But it, that's where, you know, if you think of it, and I, what I will also say is not everyone has to go to therapy or counseling. Sometimes you just need a good friend or a confidant. Sometimes you just need a mentor. Um, so when I, I'm talking about encouraging help, I think encouraging professional help is just as helpful as encouraging self-help. So reading books and being self-aware and being insightful um, are just all different options. And, and not every option like medication is also for everyone. So I think it's really important to figure out, okay, what do I need and what would make me whole? What would make me the best person I could be? And again, do you need that outside perspective? Maybe it's a couples counselor or family therapist. Um, so there's lots of different nuances, lots of different professionals who can help. And so I think it's just important to just start to normalize that, that everyone needs something a little bit different. And it can be incredibly helpful to get that other perspective, whether that's your best friend from growing up or a counselor. And you're you're on this podcast with us. So U.S. soccer has to be doing something in this space. So what are they doing and why is it that important? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been working with U.S. soccer. I've, I've only been at the USOPC six months, and I think we started working together right away. Um, I uh, The CMO reached out to me and said, hey, this, this is really cool stuff. Like, how can we really expand this? So first of all, I'll say they were doing things long before I came on board, and I have been working with them around three primary goals. Um, The first is just increasing awareness of mental health issues with any stakeholder. So we've started looking at um, coaches and doing coaching education. Um, I've actually helped uh, facilitate the A license uh, mental health unit for all of the coaches. 
Um, so just being able to have like an interactive component and the coaches so far, it's been really well received. And so being able to talk with them about that, um, educational mental health wellness resources out to the coaches. So like, okay, now that you have some awareness about mental health, what are the resources? So we're really working together to understand what the resources are. I know that U.S. Soccer has an amazing website called Recognize to Recover, and they've created this mental health um, uh, landing page and what the resources are. And we've created this slide deck and just some things for parents. Um, one of the things that is actually coming up um, for Mental Health Awareness Month is to do a training with the staff. So we're going to do that. We're looking at how to educate parents um, and then I think the the third main objective that we've been working on is the national team. So just really making sure from, you know, that piece, because as y'all have mentioned, it is a little bit easier for some of these professional athletes to talk about mental health. And the reality is if we can make it a little bit easier for them to talk about mental health, it's going to trickle down to youth sport. It's going to trickle down into society. We know that sport is often an incredible vehicle for social change. And so if we can just keep spreading the message, keep spreading the word, I think that the awareness piece, the actual resource piece, and then really targeting the national team is going to be really important. So specifically with the national team, I will mention um, we're trying to just get a baseline. We've started asking mental health questions. You know, are you depression, anxiety, eating disorders, sleep, um, alcohol, drugs? So what are you struggling with? And try to really make that confidential information. It's not widely shared, but get a baseline for that and follow the athletes with that. Has that changed? We've noticed that you've become, you know, you're, the way you're endorsing these questions. It looks like your anxiety has actually increased in the, the last six months. So those are some of the very specific things that we're working on. You, you mentioned talking with coaches. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are coaches that are listening, players, family members. For the social emotional intelligence, I'm sure that's huge in your job. What are some of those cues for them to realize, okay, this person might need to seek some professional help or you know, seek someone who can help them deal with some of their demons or, or some of the problems that they're facing? Because um, I'm sure that would be really beneficial for some of the people that are listening. For sure. So I think the main takeaway we wanted during this coaching education was y'all are the front line. You are going to see these athletes regularly or even the parents. So you're seeing these athletes regularly. What are you noticing that's changing? What is out of their norm that you might need to approach them about. So they're an athlete who has always been on time and now they're habitually late. Um, they're lagging on, I don't know, they're 40. Um, they're missing passes. Whatever it is, if you start to notice things that feel out of the norm, all we're asking is simply to ask, hey, what's going on? Like, is there anything that's up? Is there anything you've been struggling with? Um, and just open the conversation. And so one of the things I've we've been trying to pass along at the USOPC as well is mental health first aid. And that's all it is, is you just simply ask the question. You don't need to treat them. You don't need to diagnose. You don't need to tell them something's wrong. Just simply ask, how are you doing? And then the next step to that is just listening to their story, listening to what they have to say and being prepared to hear that story. Um, but you don't need to do anything beyond that. 
that, that you you could just get them to a professional should that be the direction to go. But you don't need to say, okay, I think you have anxiety. I think you have depression. Oh, I don't think anything's wrong. Oh, I think you're suicidal. Definitely not your purview. Just go ahead and just simply ask the question, how are you doing? I love that you're talking about that because that's one of the things I find most challenging. I, I have a company called the ACL Club and I help people through the mental side of ACL injury recovery. So all this stuff to me is just like, I love it. I love hearing from you about all these different Mm -hmm. techniques. But one of the things that I I get a lot from, especially younger athletes is they don't want to talk to their friends about it, about any, you know, this is an injury, but the injuries then create mental health issues because you're away from your team and you feel like you're complaining that you're going through recovery or whatever it may be. When it's not a complaint, it's just you with the reality of the situation. And it's so it's not just being willing to say, hey, I'm going to go to this friend and and open up to them. But it's also the other side of the coin, too, right, is being the friend who is open to listening and and changing your perspective of saying, "Okay, my friend needs me right now. They're not complaining. They're going through an issue. And that's part of changing the stigma as well. Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah. Could not agree more. Yeah. Um, I love that. So how can we help? Like, what, what are the best ways for someone to say, I want to get involved in mental health awareness and make sure that I am doing my absolute most and, and the best to make it a positive impact? I mean, I think it's education and awareness. And so there's a lot of great organizations. Obviously, U.S. Soccer has this website just just starting to look at the resources and saying, "Okay, I I am feeling a little bit more comfortable Um, for the training. One of the things that we actually asked is, can you ask somebody if they're feeling suicidal? That could save a life, you know. And so we've actually we had the coaches practice saying, are you okay?" We also had them practice saying, are you thinking about suicide? And so I think that some of those things that you can practice and get comfortable around the topics of mental health, like are you struggling? Are you struggling with anxiety? And not only being able to ask the questions, but also have the response of, you know, being calm and cool and collected. If somebody says yes and not panicking, not freaking out, um, and then just getting familiar with the resources. And so, you know, should somebody be struggling, um, and they're suicidal, reaching out to 911. One of the things I would love to start passing along is 988. And so by January 1st of 2022, 988 is actually going to be the new mental health um, crisis line. And so instead of sending police officers to scenes, they will now be sending mental health clinicians should that be the request. And so currently law enforcement manages most of those. Um, I actually already got a text in Colorado Springs that 988 is up and running. So over the next few months, you may get a text in your phone that says this is an area that actually supports 988. So just being aware of resources like that, that you're not having to call the police every time something happens, but there are things like that. Um, There's lots of great organizations. Um, The USOPC has a website now that also points you to a lot of those um, organizations. But we have, you know, Mental Health America, um, the Jed Foundation. There's a lot of really cool organizations around mental health. Um, So I think it's just, you know, what would I do to to educate myself, be a little bit more aware around mental health? What about just a 
one of the ways to incorporate this into our everyday lives is taking a mental health day. Maybe it's like mm-hmm. once a month, uh, once every other week or once a week even where you're taking a mental health day. What what could that look like for people or what are some good things that they could maybe incorporate and help um you talked about that scale. So keeping them in a healthy level for them personally and that mental health scale. Yeah. One of the things I like doing that helps me understand if I need to take a mental health day is to kind of think of a scale, like you mentioned of like, Oh, I think I'm a little bit more stressed. And so like on a scale of one to 10, am I at a 10 right now? And how do I, I I function pretty well, like a seven or an eight. Um, so being able to monitor that is very helpful. Um, and so you can often like identify with a particular number or I would like to be uh, calm and cool or, or, or a feeling or an emotion. But I think then what I, I like to do is to have a series of tools in my toolbox that I might go through. So does that mean I go get a pedicure? Um, do I read an audiobook? Do I go for a walk? Do I go for a run? Do I do a workout class? Um, do I go out to dinner with my husband? So I have all these tools that I know typically will help me with my level of stress. Um, and so just being able to say, okay, I think this is the time where I, t- I pull out one of these tools in my toolbox because I know I'm at a 10 and I really need to come down from a 10. Um, so it could be a, a dinner, it could be an afternoon, it could be a whole day. Um, I think it's just having the awareness to know what you need and at what time you need it. I feel like I've been at a 10 like my whole life. And I just, <laughs> I just, I just go through, I just go through it. Yeah. Hey, I have twin boys. So it's just like, go, there is no time to like slow down. But, um, it, which brings me to, if you do have young kids, children, even just younger younger adults who are were in sport, what is a good way to start that foundation of having that open line of communication, making sure that they feel supported, that they can kind of reach out to you and, and share their their deep feelings and thoughts so that they they don't go down the wrong direction or the wrong path? For sure. Um, I have a one year old and a three year old. So definitely on my mind <laughs> quite a bit. Um, but I think uh, there's a couple of things. One, the first would be role modeling. So knowing that mommy has a mental health day, you've got daddy today. Um, just any of those things that are helpful, um, with role modeling. And so making sure that we go on a family walk after dinner, um, COVID has been hard. And so, you know, what are some of those activities where we can get out, but we started to, to, to really take like consistent walks and some exercise and, just making sure that we do some of those things for our mental health. I think on the flip side, it's just also telling your kids it's okay to have emotions, telling your kids it's okay to um, have these conversations that mom and dad are here to talk. Um, I also have a number of friends because I studied this who, you know, my my, um, best friend, Jenny, was one of my best friends in graduate school. She's a psychologist. If you can't tell mom, tell Aunt Jenny. Um, so just making sure they have lots of different resources available, I think has been really helpful. So I've got a lot of uh, friends who often fill in. Uh, my mom lives with us, which I think has been huge. So I, I don't get offended if, again, they're, they're little, little. But um, just making sure they have as many resources as possible and as many outlets to be able to share 
emotions or what might be going wrong. Awesome. That's so good. Such good pointers. And just you talking about your toolbox, I was thinking about things that I have in my toolbox. Um, One of those for me is just like sitting in the sun and just feeling the heat of the sun. And like, I feel like that centers me and grounds me a little bit. Charlie, do you have anything that you is like your go-to, something that helps you calm down? Not off the top of my head. Actually, I love I love taking walks, yeah. like mm-hmm. hike, like mini hikes. Um, that that kind of like takes me to a, to a pay, place where I'm just at absolute peace, and I'm like, okay, appreciate the sun, the smell of the the grass and and the and the trees. So I'm like, that that's what kind of brings me back to to center and, and allows me to refocus. I have another question, Jess. Just talking about staying in this um, younger athletes. Uh, talk is one of the things that is challenging is from my understanding is the part of the brain that develops it develops later in life where you understand that there's something beyond the like here and now and it starts to develop in your 20s I think I'm not quite sure what part of your brain that is but when you're a teenager and you lose a sport or you lose something that's dear to you right maybe it's a, a a friend or a family member or it is your sport is taken away from you. You just don't see the future. How can you help in those moments to to give people resources or or knowledge that okay that you can get through this and there is going to be a tomorrow and the next day. Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like one of the things before we get to that point is to making make sure that that young athletes have more than just sport. I think that was something that was really difficult for me to figure out. And I know if you've got an athlete in an academy or they're playing in college or any of the things, um, you just... You get tunnel vision. Encourage... Yeah. So can you encourage them to go for those hikes, to go for those walks? If you're like, okay, we want them to still be moving. Um, How do we do that? How do we get involved in public service? So I'm not saying picking up another sport, um, but how do we become well-rounded people? Um, There was an interesting study that has um, really influenced a lot of the ways I think about things with the NFL draft a few years ago the majority of the athletes, and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, 31 out of 32 teams were multi-sport athletes. And so to think that you can get to that level and not just focus on football is pretty incredible. And so the the athleticism, the character, there's other pieces that come into sport that I think we should be fostering that are really important. And I think that also helps should an athlete encounter an injury, um, that we need to be able to say your entire self-worth does not need to be wrapped up in sport. It's important. And how do we do some community service or how can you be that uh, assistant coach on the sidelines or the cheerleader for your team while you're out? So I think there's different roles. There's different, um, different, yeah, ways that you can incorporate some of the other activities. Um, I actually really enjoy working with athletes who are injured because I just tell them this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Like what were you unable to do when you were playing X number of days? Like let's focus on the mental side of your game. Let's really strengthen imagery and visualization. Um, Let's really focus on academics or how can we get ahead in school? Um, How can we do this? And so just seeing it as an opportunity 
is often really helpful as well. It, that pumps me up because you know there are a couple of, of players, um, current players that have have gone um, through through deep dark paths um, due to injuries, and and they're figuring out how can I stay positive. Well, that would would be a, a great way for them to kind of still be engaged and involved, yet grow in another capacity, which is the mental side of the game, watching games, studying your position. Um, and, and my question to you is. What's been the most satisfying um, part of your job, and, and probably what would be what would you say is, is the best m- moment for you in your career so far? Hmm. I mean, you know, I would actually say there's not one because there's been so many athletes I've worked with and so many different settings that. I think it's all the little wins that you can reflect on where somebody gracefully exited sport and went to med school or another athlete who won gold at the Pan Am Games. Like I'm thinking of some of the athletes I've worked with and I don't know that one trumps another. I think that there's been, it's really just very cool for me to be able to support athletes in a way that I felt like I was never supported. Um, And Coincidentally, I worked with an athlete um, recently who kind of gave me an update at services around mental health at the University of Texas, and she said they're phenomenal now, which is so cool to hear. And, um, you know, so being able to see the growth of the field, to see the growth in um, athletes being able to access mental health. Um, those are all the little wins. Um, I think that just being able to support each athlete in their own life, I mean, is really cool. And whether it was transitioning out of sports, um, an actual accomplishment in sport, um, getting through a really tough time, I mean, supporting a number of athletes through the death of a loved one, um, a mom or a dad, I mean, particularly in college athletics, it's, it's hard. Um, but I think uh, there's been a lot of little wins over the past year as well with COVID. It's it's been a tough year, um, but I think it's been really really cool to see this field and this conversation just grow. And that, that goes back to what you were saying earlier, like treating mental health like we do physical health, and the little wins, the small wins add up, and all of those things. And so just giving it that same. Um, weight as whether you're training for a game, you're training your mind, you're training your physical body. Um, really cool. Dr. Jessica Bartley, this has been so fun. This yeah. is a big year for um, not only U.S. soccer, but the Olympics happening and you're working with a lot of different Olympic, excuse me, Olympic athletes. Um, what is your role through the next few months as you prepare all these players and athletes and uh, people to go compete in the Olympics and the Paralympics as well? Yeah, yeah, both. Um, and we got Beijing around the corner. Yes. So um, summer and winter. Um, you know, I was hired on to build out an infrastructure for mental health. And so the USOPC has actually employed sports psychologists in, in our sports performance division for a long time. They've been mental health providers, but they have had to split their time and be really creative and they're traveling with teams. And so I think it's been it's really cool to be able to to be embedded in the training center to 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 
to just build out a program. And so we've really focused on making sure we have crisis um, resources available should something happen. We have several different avenues for individual therapy, group therapy. We have a really cool support group, in my opinion, at least cool. Athletes may not think it's cool, but um, athletes who don't qualify. Um, we've had more and more athletes as, as they move forward. We had the pandemic postpone the games. They put in even more time and then they just missed it. And so um, it's been, in my opinion, really productive to have these athletes talk to each other. So we're doing support groups there. Um, we've got some support groups around athletes who want to protest. So that's been something that's changed in the last year, um, particularly with what's going on around race in our country. Athletes want to protest and they want to use their platform. So the USOPC is supportive of protest and the IOC is not. So how do you negotiate those conflicts? So we have some support with those athletes. And then, as you would imagine, we have some injured athlete support groups, um, some more clinical ones like eating disorders, but just really trying to build out some comprehensive resources for athletes, just looking at different buckets. Um, another interesting fact, we have, I believe, 17 first-time parents going to the games with little, little kids. So we're trying to get them together to, to make sure that they understand their resources and what support they may need. So lots of different buckets. Um, like I mentioned, coaching ed, we're doing with U.S. soccer, but are really trying to do more with some other sports as do you, well. Do you get to carry a gold medal with you the whole time since you're, you're basically responsible something. for it? Get it? Yeah, they're get you get you're gonna get a gold medal from one of the athletes you work with. So I'm, I'm assuming you get one too. No, no, no. Get anything? Nothing. No. Well, maybe nothing. Charlie, maybe. What, what about pride. what about a ring, like an Olympic ring? I pride. Charlie, maybe I Charlie, maybe <laughs> she'll get a golden medal like Steph Cox has. Mommy's golden. Medal. Exactly. We'll get you a gold <laughs> yeah. medal. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we'll get you a gold Done. medal. Um, this has been so interesting and um, needed too. I think that it's the progress over the last 10 years in this field, even if you, I don't know, f five years, it has been incredible mm -hmm. just knowing that um, being vulnerable is awesome and opening up to people is yep. awesome and letting people in and not always being the tough one, not always having to put on a show mm -hmm. that, that that's really pretty cool too. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. just thank you for everything that you're doing within us soccer, within the USOPC. And, um, we know that these resources, resources are going to be so helpful for a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for the conversation. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, athletes need to know that it's okay to talk to someone, even if you think you don't need to, because Things might be uncovered yeah. or discovered as far as like, hey, this is going to help you. Um, and just just that peace of mind that you're doing everything you can to, to have uh, be the best person on and off the field. So thank you. No, thank you all for the conversation and the platform. I really appreciate it.